All right, everybody, welcome to the March 6th edition of Cascadian Views. I should probably not start when I'm making myself laugh after a joke. Um, we've got Dan and Chris here today. It has been uh, a, a bit of a week. We've finally got our COVID relief bill. Uh, that is, I think, probably our top story here. The, the House had passed it. The Senate has chopped it up a bit, so the House is going to have to pass it again, but it it seems like it's going to sail through. The Congressional Progressive Caucus has said that, you know, while there's some problems with it, they are going to pass the thing because, on the whole, it's a bold progressive vision, uh, which seems much better than the purity test of the years before. I'm pretty stoked with that outcome. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it's kind of jaw-dropping the size of it. I mean... 10% of the whole U.S. economy. Right, right. $1.9 trillion. That's enormous. And mainly going towards, you know, redistributive relief. I mean, you've got a huge portion that's going into uh, progressively phased out uh, cash payments, unemployment insurance, uh, assistance to state and local governments so they can keep running in the shortage of their own local tax revenue. It's massive. It's, uh -huh. you know, I don't think it can really be overstated. I mean, it's, I, I don't want to oversell it too much, but it's probably on par with the Affordable Care Act in terms of just massive economy-shaping legislation, and they rolled it out in a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. On a basically party-line vote. It was party-line in the Senate, and exactly. I believe party-line party yeah. in the House. Was there a single Republican who voted for this in any chamber of Congress? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I don't think there was. Uh, the uh, even to bring up. To... Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, like, not even the cloture motion. You know, have to bring it to a vote. Uh -huh. Nothing. Right. <laughs> there was no Republican who voted that it should even be discussed. The the ultimate passage of the bill was never really in doubt there was one hiccup in whether or not the republicans were going to get an amendment approved they were courting joe manchin pretty hard and he was playing ball with them it wouldn't have done anything really to the bill it would have just changed unemployment benefits it would have pulled them down to 300 it would have expired them at the beginning of july um and and that was really all that was going on there. Um, Democrats ended up getting a compromise with Manchin. Uh, unemployment benefits will be pulled down to 300 a week, um, but they will be extended an additional month uh, instead into August. And uh, the first 10,000, I believe $200 is going to be untaxed. So if you're, you know, counting pennies and living off unemployment for the last, you know, eight months mm -hmm. because you've been out of a job for COVID, you won't have to worry about paying taxes on all the unemployment benefits that you have gotten to keep yourself above water. Or at least the first 10,000 and change. Uh, the, the compromise seemed okay to me. I mean, both sides gave a little. <laughs> Manchin got the reduced unemployment, but he agreed to the Democrats' uh, request to extend them out for longer, so it I mean, it doesn't really balance out, but it moves it towards balancing out more. And uh, the the tax relief for 
for the long-term unemployed due to the pandemic is is welcome. I mean, I, those guys were going to see a very large surprise tax bill. So, um, yeah, yeah. No, that's honestly, I think that's probably a decent enough compromise right there. You add, you know, maybe ten to fifteen percent of the value to it alone with the tax, com you know, accommodation. So sure. Yeah, I mean, seems okay to me. I mean, I would have loved to have had both those things with $400 a week, but mm -hmm. as it stands, I think we got a pretty good deal here, and we didn't really water down the bill all that much at all. Yeah, I, I mean, substantially, the only negotiation was with Mansion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they wasted yeah. absolutely zero time trying to uh, bring Republicans on board, which I think speaks to institutional learning. Yeah. Yep. And isn't it... Isn't it refreshing to have somebody who's, who's, you know, negotiating in good faith? Like somebody who's actually trying to come to an agreement at the end? <laughs> I think that is the biggest difference between this sort of thing and what we had been dealing with, with, <clears throat> you know, a, a Republican majority in, in yeah. the Senate. Well, I mean... I find I still kind of find it hard to figure out what's motivating Manchin on a lot of this stuff because I'm not I don't know how much you know trying to cut unemployment benefits is really something that helps him in West Virginia. I mean I could be wrong, you know I'll kind of trust his judgment on that, but it seems weird that that's something that he needs. But I don't think it's actually something that he needs. I think it's something he can he can show. Um, sure. I'm I'm trying to find the West Virginia um, unemployment rate. I I had thought because West Virginia had reopened relatively uh, early in in the whole scheme of things that their their unemployment wasn't actually doing so bad. So mm -hmm. by by cutting the um, by cutting the unemployment benefits, he shows he's willing to, you know, fight with Washington Democrats who aren't like West Virginia Democrats without actually hurting anybody in a state that much. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be my guess at it. Yeah, West Virginia's unemployment rate is, uh, as of December, 6.1%, um, and that was a small increase over the month before when it was at 5.8%. So... Unemployment in Virginia no is, yeah, is basically hovering at what unemployment is usually in like normal times. Yeah, and that's probably right around the national average right now, isn't it? I mean, I haven't checked the unemployment rate in a while. Yeah, I, I'm not real sure. Uh, well, okay, currently it's around 3% nationwide, it looks like. So... I guess it's a little higher, but uh, that's wait no that I'm sorry that's the very best I need to yeah I was gonna say that's not what I'm median saying. is actually around six percent so all yeah. right fair enough yep six point three percent in January is what I'm saying um, mm -hmm. from the Department of Labor statistics so yeah uh, West Virginia is not especially unemployed they're not especially hard hit this is something he can fight Democrats with to show his independence and not actually hurt anybody in West Virginia, so there are no real consequences for him. And also, he didn't actually pull it back that much. So, sure, it's not ideal, but he's not 
throwing anybody out into the street, I don't think, either. He really did this in probably about the best way I could have imagined he could do it in order to have something to take home, have a scalp to show people. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Hmm. Yeah, I think probably annoying Democratic partisans is probably helpful in and of itself. Yeah. And as long as it's having relatively minimal uh, actual consequences, he's probably doing just fine. So uh-huh. between this and Tandon, I guess uh, he's he's being himself and he's figuring out what it is to mm-hmm. keep getting elected in West Virginia, I suppose. Yeah, and he knows what things are popular. He wasn't going to touch the $1,400 checks, you know. Mm-hmm. That's something that people in a state get, and if he pulls that number down, they get mad at him. He's going to touch yeah. something that doesn't really affect anybody in West Virginia and minimally affects people elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, he was making posture about the checks, but he eventually yeah, completely left it alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was only the unemployment. That was his mm-hmm. only sticking point after the parliamentarian cut the $15 an hour wage. Yeah. Right, right. That was the other big boat that was slowing things down this uh, weekend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we are going to see a lot uh, out of this bill. The You mentioned in the beginning that local government funding is just hugely important. That preserves so many programs across the country that would have otherwise had to have been cut because unlike the federal government, state and local governments can't just print their own money. <laughs> they... Right. They have to balance their their books. It is one of the fundamental differences between a local government and and our national government is financial policy. Um, some places are big enough they could borrow and potentially weather it, but you know those places are are relatively few and far between. Um, I know the state of Oregon does not uh, does not run a deficit at all. Um, California is big enough they can borrow money from overseas. They do do that. Um, I don't know if Washington does enough. I don't believe Washington borrows, but I think they are looking at significant uh, draws from budget reserves that have been built up in oh, yeah. budget years. We talked about that last year. They're, yeah. they're draining a pretty significant portion of that. Um, Alaska relied on that method, too, but their they're, they're rainy day they fund is, is gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no it's longer CDR. exist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and I should mention at the end of that, um, I, I mentioned $1,400 checks. That's another big part of this, probably the one that people will most directly see. You're going to get $1,400 from the federal government. Um, Oregon is working on a, a kind of complementary bill to this one. Um, federal relief, I believe both the direct cash payments and the expanded unemployment are currently taxed as income in Oregon um, and the the legislature is trying to push through a bill that would exempt that from state taxes there is a little bit of momentum to do so because the state has more money than we thought it did um, they released their estimate for the kicker next year every three years Oregon has to look back through the last three years figure out uh, what the state expected collecting taxes uh, versus what it actually collected in taxes. And if there is a sizable enough difference, I think it's like 5% or something, the state has to pay that money back to the taxpayers. Um, and we're, we're looking at a pretty good kicker payment next year, which surprised quite a, quite a few people. So, so the state is looking to hopefully uh, 
not ex uh, overextend its tax base that much uh, to the point where it has to give back so much money. So if they can find ways to take in less taxes, they are, are currently kind of okay with that. Here, um, just other items in the bill that are going to make a huge difference for folks. The uh, child tax credit has been nearly doubled, which is going to make an enormous difference. I think some of the estimates have seen is that should cut child poverty in half in yeah. the United States, from what I understand. Which, yeah, that's kind of what when you talk about this bill having such massive redistributive effect that's the kind of thing we're talking about right there it's mm -hmm. huge aid to families uh it also 34 billion pumped into the affordable care act subsidies mm -hmm. that's huge 14 billion dollars this bill goes for vaccine distributions um biden is starting to to hint at the fact that we may be able to fully vaccinate by the beginning of summer um, it had previously been pushed back, kind of thinking the end of summer, the beginning of fall. Distribution is really ramping up, uh, especially with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine coming online. That's a single-shot vaccine instead of a double-shot, which makes it ideal for underserved communities. You know, it's easier to get people in for one shot than it is to get them to come back two weeks later for the second one. And when you're talking about homeless populations or the urban poor, things like this. It is immensely helpful that we're, we're able to do a one-shot vaccine now. Um, just a, a cornucopia of absolutely amazing things in this legislation overall. Um, mm -hmm. a, a couple little weird things about the actual passage. The final vote was 50 to 49. Uh, there was one Republican missing, it was Dan Sullivan who had to return to Alaska for some sort of undisclosed family reason. He didn't elaborate beyond that. I don't think we know anything more about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I bet a lot of Republicans probably wish they didn't have to do that. But, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think this has got to be used against a lot, you know, whatever vulnerable Republican you've got. You know, Ron Johnson is the one incumbent I can think of who's going to be up in 22, who I think this needs to be held around his neck. I'm not sure if there's that many others. I mean, Rubio's probably a tier lower than that. Um, yeah, not many others, unfortunately. The Senate really sucks. It really uh, does. <laughs> plenty of open seats, though. So we'll see what happens in Pennsylvania and uh, Ohio, North Carolina. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Should be an interesting map shaping out. I mean, the only other thing I want to, you know, while we're talking about this that's still out there is, you know, the last bit of drama was, of course, on not getting the minimum wage increase as part of the Senate bill. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess there there have been, you've mentioned the parliamentarian drama that had happened this week. The parliamentarian ruled that uh, it was not germane to a reconciliation bill and so it couldn't be included we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and i think we were all the consensus is like yeah they should go for it uh -huh. but now that it's got thrown out there's been a lot of fighting over it. and i think what they were voting on over this weekend was was that sanders alternative bill that would uh tax businesses that didn't raise the minimum wage or was it this an actual attempt to overrule the parliamentarian uh, no, it was Sanders' alternative amendment. Okay. 
and it came up short. I think it was what, 50, 42 to 58 or whatever. I don't like know if Sullivan had left by then, but yeah, eight Democrats joined with all Republicans that were there. Yeah, yeah. So I, it, I'm curious to see what the future of that is. I believe because... your boy Tester was among them, actually. Now that I'm yes. thinking about it. Yeah, yeah it was Cinema, mm -hmm. Tester, the two from Delaware, uh, the two from New Hampshire, and then Mansion. Someone else, but it's not coming to me at the moment. Aside from Cinema, who comes from a, a relatively Republican state, all things considered, notice right. that the rest of those are all basically rural Democrats. Uh, yeah, Delaware maybe less so, but it has no real cities in it. I mean, the entire state is basically a Philadelphia suburb, but. Delaware itself has no population centers. Uh, it doesn't even have an airport. There's no commercial airport in, in Delaware. <laughs> there's, there's a general aviation airport that sometimes serves like charter flights in Wilmington, but there is yeah. no like regularly scheduled commercial airport in, in the state of Delaware. Um, all these are places where, like I said, possibly Delaware aside, because it is relatively well integrated into the Northeast Corridor, despite not actually being a built-up state, they're all places it's mm -hmm. relatively hard to deliver services to, where delivering services takes longer per customer. They're all places where I think there is potential fear over a minimum wage increase cutting their state out of America, basically, you know. And right. that's something that I think you're going to see at a larger scale. Even things like Uber and whatnot only really work in the cities. Like, if I go out to Astoria, Uber has no service out there. They, they just don't offer it or whatnot. And you really see that divide in a lot of places, um, digitally especially. But I think you're going to start seeing people fearing that so same sort of divide when it comes to, to minimum wage. Uh, Amazon already offers prime delivery at a loss in some places just to make it uniform. Um, you know, if they start cutting out Wyoming or Montana or something from things that the rest of us get, that's a justifiable fear, I think. I think it's misplaced, but I understand why people are afraid of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of, you know. I also think, yeah. Go for it, Chris. I was kind of just. Well, I was just going to say in New Hampshire, it's, I think it's a uh, good local politics, too. I mean, New Hampshire isn't really a blue state as such. Right. Republicans get elected to statewide office there all the time, and the Democrats that do get elected are kind of the, uh, you know, of the moderate, and to the Republicans are sort of the liberal Northeast right. variety. Yeah. They're not that different from each other. So only one of those senators is up for re-election, but I think both of them politically, like it yeah. didn't well, totally I mean, surprise me to see them on the list. Yeah. Hassan's up next year, and she barely, barely won her race in 2016. I think it was maybe a few thousand votes. I think she might have even run behind Clinton a little bit. So, yeah, and I guess there's also the possibility that she might get challenged by uh, Sununu. So, yeah, I could understand her not wanting to take a lot of risks at the moment. She won by just over 1,000 votes. 1,017 votes, if I'm reading this right. Yeah. All right. Good thing Chris is close by. <laughs> Do some cross-state campaigning. Register your chickens, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Don't actually do that.
that would be a crime. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I will live free or die. There you go. Uh, and I guess we'll we'll stay in Washington because there has been updated news in the uh, the attempted coup prosecution effort after one uh, six. Uh, I think a couple of the biggest parts of this is that uh, the guy who got his picture taken with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk uh, <laughs> had a meltdown in court, just absolutely screamed at the judge about how unfair it was that he was in jail while everybody else was out. Then the judge declared a recess and then told him she considered it the next hearing in a month. So <laughs> he was not super happy about it. Um it, it really was an epic meltdown. Uh, highly recommend you read. I think Slate had a wonderful write-up of it. Um, and then we also had quite a bit of news about phone records uh, in a couple different stories here, I guess. Uh, the first was that the FBI uh, is aware of and has evidence of communications between some congressional members and groups that led the 1-6 insurrection. The FBI is not alleging anything improper. They haven't even really looked into it yet. They don't know what's going on, just that they do have evidence that there was phone contact um, between people in Congress and the leaders of the insurrection. Um, kind of in the line of that, the next day we had an indictment handed down for a Trump official at the State Department over the 1-6 uh, insurrection, and Chris, you probably have been following this the closest, so why don't you tell us what's going on? Yeah, it was a fairly low-ranking official. Um, you know, to even call them an official is probably overestimating how high in the State Department hierarchy they were. Well, he but, did work for the Trump campaign. Yeah. Right, it was somebody who wasn't it wasn't just that they were a Trump appointee. They had real, like, Trump campaign ties. Mm -hmm. And also they had stayed on in that office afterwards. Yep. Do we know anything so about the, the, the contact they had? Um, we, well, I don't think that this was a contact case. I think this oh, is okay. actually someone who was there. Oh, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's then a big there's one. An unnamed Trump official who, well, I believe his claim at the moment is that he was at the rally, but not at the Capitol. But uh, mm, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. see how that pans out. <laughs> um, but then in addition to that, there is an unnamed Trump contact. And also they're looking at Roger Stone for contacts with the Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. You had highlighted in a group just kind of the expansiveness of the information dragnet that federal officials had deployed. Yeah, I, it just really struck me that, um, and I think I'd said in the group, this is the kind of thing that usually when I think of it is totally bone chilling, but I find it a little bit heartwarming now that mm. like these post 9-11 powers are actually coming in handy um, for something good. but. They basically have a de facto search warrant now for any Android device that was activated inside the Capitol for that time window. And was not uh, owned by a member of Congress or their staff. Right. Um, yeah. 
Right, it was not an officially certified to be their one. Yeah, they and have this thing called an exclusion list. It's it's wild to think about. But yeah, it's just basically a list of every cell phone they know is supposed to be there, and then they can take information about every other phone that's not on that list that pinged those towers. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And they also got the call records from all the cell towers surrounding Washington, D.C. for that period of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just the, like, which number contacted which number, but still. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that helps piece together a, uh, like, a relationship web of what's going on. Yeah. And they have, I think it's something like 300 people have been arrested. And it's clear from what's going on now that they're kind of methodically, you know, they swept up a bunch of people, but now they're kind of methodically working on the who were the planners, who were the organizers level mm-hmm. of things, which is where they really started to look at the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot in that space over the coming months. Um, we The Proud Boys have confirmed that they had contact with Roger Stone. Like, I, I don't know mm-hmm. how much proving in court... Uh, you know, prosecutors need to do because these guys just opened their mouth and said it. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, tradecraft has not been their strong point in any of this, by the way. If there's one saving grace from this, it's that I'm actually surprised that they are so inept at organizing a secret conspiracy. When I look back at like the militia yeah. movement of the 90s and shit. Like, they had whole cells that the FBI was having to, like, send people out into the woods with, like, night vision goggles to keep tabs on. These guys are just opening in their mouth to C-SPAN and crap. <laughs> and putting it all on social media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Timothy McVeigh, these guys ain't. I was thinking about that in relation to Roger Stone, that, um, I don't know, he may not like this so much now that there aren't Department of Justice officials who will try and water down charges and there isn't a president who will pardon him. It's going to go as well for him this time. Yeah. I also think Stone may just... I mean, he's like an old dude, right? And when he cut his teeth, like, a lot of this stuff... Like, what the fuck is a, a phone record to somebody from, like, the 1970s? Like, that stuff wasn't digital. That wasn't being recorded anywhere. Those were electromechanical connections. Like a, a little thing physically moved a wire over and whatnot. I just I, I wonder if he does not realize that all this data doesn't go away. And it's like recorded and accessible. I, I I honestly think that might be part of the issue here. Otherwise I can't see him putting himself in that much fucking jeopardy when he has absolutely zero cover. Like, like you said, there's nobody at the Department of Justice that's going to pull strings for him. There's nobody that's going to dangle a part into him. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, what they come up with. They are openly talking about sedition charges, too. Which would be wonderful to see. I, I just... <sighs> It's almost a good reminder to people that institutions are not 
things that exist in the abstract. They're things that you need to care for, and that you need to manage, and that you need to build up like yourself. It's part of being an engaged citizen and whatnot. If nobody cared about the court, the court wouldn't have power. If nobody cared about Congress, Congress wouldn't have power. So seeing some actual like sedition charges and conspiracy charges really, I think, might put a boot in some people's ass to remember that. Um, it's sad we had to get yeah. to this point, but I'm really hoping it's an eye-opener for a lot of people. All right, Dan, how about you move us on to the next topic, which is uh, Trump wants Republicans to pay for using his name and likeness. <laughs> That's right. This is our new segment. It's called Dispatches from or This Week in Malarkey. I like uh, it. But, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> Trump has sent a cease and desist order to several of the campaign arms of the Republican Party, including the Republican National Committee, the NRCC, and the NRSC, demanding that they no longer use his name and likeness in their fundraising, which we talked about this a little bit in advance, but is completely absurd. As a public figure uh, who is completely identified with the Republican Party, mm -hmm. I don't see any chance in hell of this being able to stand up. Uh, political advertising and fundraising uses the images, likenesses, and names of individuals all the time without their permission. I mean, I think the Democrats raise tons of money by invoking Trump's name mm -hmm. and likeness. He hasn't and, sent uh, them a cease and desist. Exactly. Uh, and likewise, Republicans raise tons of money with Nancy Pelosi and all of their various hate objects. So, no, this is completely ridiculous. I guess some of the stated rationale for it is that he doesn't like that they also help Republicans that he doesn't like who, quote, he does not think were there for him. Mm -hmm. Although, really, this is Trump. This is about trying to get a piece of the action, I think, when it comes to the bottom line. So I think he's trying to shake them down for money. <laughs> so maybe they'll pay up. Maybe they'll continue provoking this Republican Party civil war with him. I guess we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, There's but... no way they can pay out to him. There's no fucking way. That opens way too much of a can of worms for them. <laughs> <laughs> what if they denied him to date? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, but oh my god, dude, you are hamstringing your party for like a century if you make that standard operating procedure. Yeah, they'll be paying Baron in the 2070s. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> like, imagine if you had to cut a check to, to fucking Nancy Reagan every time you, you yeah. know, invoke the shining city on a hill or some shit. Oh, my <laughs> God. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's just so Trumpy, you know. And it's a great underlining about how at the core he just does not give a rat's ass about the party that's given it's not even commercial speech. speech right they're not running this for profit they're running this to they're doing it to raise money well so. yeah but they're raising money for political speech they're not raising money as a business venture no they're not trying to get rich off it oh <laughs> yeah at least most of them are but well, yeah getting... there's grifters i'm i'm Always yeah. <laughs> They're raising money to win elections by consciously 
you know, promoting his policies as part of winning those right. elections. Yeah, the Republican Party. It's closer to a legitimate use of the name and likeness than you'll see from probably thousands of other fly-by-night operations, you know. Yeah. You know, USAPatriots.biz, you know, yeah. you support Trump, give us $10. The Republican you know, Party is not paying out dividends to shareholders or anything like that. This is... This is not commercial speech. It's it's going nowhere, and I kind of want the Republicans to play hardball on it. Not that they ever do what I want them to, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I'm with Dan, though. I think they will. I, I think they... Yeah, when have they said they no put to themselves him? in a position where they can't not do what he wants. Yeah. I mean, they need, they need his... I mean, at least his tacit cooperation in order to juice the base and get them to actually show up to vote. We saw in 2018 what happens when Democrats are energized and Republicans less so. So, yeah, it's it's really something. Mm-hmm. I, maybe they'll just give him that golden idol and call it good. Yeah. <laughs> he can put it in the lobby of Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Make everybody kiss its ring as they come in. That's right. All right. We're going to turn to some local news. Um, There's been a bit of a Portland saga this week. There was a hit-and-run incident where the driver reported to police that the driver who hit her was Joanne Hardesty, uh, who is a commission member on the Portland City Commission, uh, which is kind of our, our local government here. I know most People call it like a city council or whatnot. Um, The driver gave Miss Hardesty's plate number and a description of her vehicle to the police officer. Uh, The next day on a live stream by the, let's see here, Defend Portland Commission, I believe it's called. Let me... Coalition to Save Portland, excuse me, which is a group that formed to defend the police in the wake of protests last year. Um, on their live stream, they had a copy of the police report and were reading it off. There was some question about how they got it. Um, I made a post in the Facebook group about how this is either a bad actor on the part of the driver. Um, the driver made a report not trying to do a hit job or anything, and the police leaked it to the media, um, or some combination thereof. It turns out it's probably some combination thereof. Uh, The driver did not leak the police report. If the coalition to say Portland is to be believed, they got it from a Portland Police Bureau officer. They say not the chief and not any of his lieutenants, but just a regular officer working a beat. Passed it over to them. Hardesty has been completely exonerated in this. She was at her house, um, I believe even doing a live stream at the time it happened. (laughs) So she is well accounted for, has a total and complete alibi. The police department does not consider her a suspect whatsoever. They're launching an investigation to figure out exactly what happened here. Chief Level is... Fairly pissed. He is relatively new to the position. He is also a former rank-and-file officer. Um, The police chief stepped down in the wake of the protest last year and was replaced by, well, somebody who was basically just as bad before she resigned and Lovell was put into his place, probably for his connections to the community as, you know, uh, 
a career officer. He has talked to people. He has walked beats. He's also a minority, which is fairly rare in Portland. We are the widest major city in America by a fair bit. So it, it helped to have a person of color in a position of power over the police when we're trying to smooth the relationships with our communities of color in the city. Um, he's obviously just pissed as shit about this. Uh, the mayor is asking everything to be, you know, gotten to the bottom of as soon as fucking possible. It's become kind of a scandal, first about Hardesty, and now that Hardesty is completely in the clear about how the fuck this happened and what the hell is going on at the Portland Police Department. Portland Police Bureau, excuse me. Uh, yeah, obviously there are still some major issues in the city with our police. Um, not a surprise to anybody who has followed the Portland Police for any length of time. Anything going on up in Washington, Dan? See, no, no. I'd say it's really steady as she goes up here. Um, legislature's plugging away. They're kind of getting into end game. They've uh, shut down at least all bills that haven't gotten through their subject matter committees. Uh, but no, I wouldn't say any major news developments or anything like that that uh, really jump out for attention this week all right well chris i do <laughs> i posted a story about vermont that i'm hoping you've read up a bit about uh just because yes. i've mentioned the topic on the show a couple times before this is uh about slate ridge an unlicensed gun range slash militia training facility in vermont that sprung up overnight and any attempt by the town to actually enforce their laws has been met with an overwhelming show of just goddamn bullshit uh, between terrorizing, doxing, stalking. They've really managed to kind of hold the entire town hostage. There has been new developments in this. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, so basically the background of this is that there's a guy um, in the town of Powlett, which is a small town in Vermont. A uh, small town in Vermont is even smaller than you might think of in normal small towns in normal states. Um, <laughs> and starting a few years back, he opened a school on his property, um, which is like a zoning violation right there, right? You can't have you can't just say you're starting a school and do it on residential land. Um, but this school specifically was for firearms training and other military survival type things. So, you know, and when I say firearms training, it's not just like shooting a pistol. It's like automatic weapons. It's like how to attack a vehicle. It's <laughs> it's like serious. It's a militia school, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the so vehicle the assault was actually decorated with the name of the neighbor who they were especially pissed about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for added fun. Yeah. So the, the town has yeah. been after him for a while on the, uh, you know, on the illegality of his operation. And he's basically ignored every summons and kind of every legal ruling along the way. The neighbors also understandably are not so excited about having a uh, bristling with guns militia training facility in their neighborhood. I wonder um, why. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. 
And the thing that makes it more than a local story is that, of course, it's become like a, you know, cause celebre for the, for the kind of people that celebrate this kind of thing, because mm -hmm. he's pretty active also with posting videos of his trainings and doing social media and stuff. So he's got kind of like a militia following nationwide too. Um, and so the neighbors who have complained have found themselves targeted by him. He's done things like, you know, doxed people's identities and released information about them. Uh, one of his neighbors has a business. And so the name, he put the name of her business on <laughs> the vehicle that was being assaulted and put it on a video with bullet holes through the name of her business. Oh you know, stuff like normal stuff like that. So the latest ruling, which was handed down by a uh, Vermont court this past week was that the facility needs to shut down and he also needs to pay all of the back fines. He's basically had like a daily fine for, I don't know, something like two years now. <laughs> so it's about $46,000 of uh, fines that he needs to pay and he needs to dismantle all the buildings involved with the school on his property. Given his complete non-compliance with every ruling that's come so far, I'm, I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens next. I really would hate to see this become like a, you know, a Ruby Ridge or a Waco Bundy nonsense kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, if the state goes in there and has to tear it down, that's just going to be flooded with people from across the country. We'll all show up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're exactly right on the Bundy thing. <laughs> I, I hope you're looking forward to a siege in your part of the world, Chris. <laughs> I mean, we don't get them often, but still, I'd rather not. All right. Uh, anything anybody else wants to mention? No? All right. We'll call it there, then. You guys have a good night. Good week. Right. Have a good week, y'all. Bye. Yeah, you as well.